listening to another Bass Edge Radio, accessible from iTunes and, of course, at BassEdge.com. Every month we are bringing you two episodes of the most updated bass fishing knowledge from the world's best bass fishing professionals. As always, Bass Edge Radio is brought to you by MegaWare KeelGuard, makers of the FlexStep and SkateGuard. Put on the protection the pros pick. Visit them at KeelGuard.com. Bass Edge Nation, be sure and stay tuned with all the latest Bass Edge information through our Facebook page, Twitter handle, and, of course, BassEdge.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios. High above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Welcome back to Bass Edge Radio. Really looking forward to this mid-July edition because, Aaron, quite frankly, it's the time of year a lot of fish get pretty deep. It's probably one of the weakest aspects of my game is what we're going to talk to our angler today in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, Tim Horton, deep cranking. Well, I can't think of anybody better to talk to concerning this topic. I mean, Tim has obviously proven himself in that market. And, you know, one of the things that I would like to throw out, Kurt, and and get your opinion is I got to say that's not one of my strengths and I'm not quite sure why I just don't go out and take the time to learn this. Any thoughts on why we tend to shy away from the deep cranking subject or actually putting it into practice? Well, I tell you, apparently a lot of our listeners are going to get quite a bit of info out of this and so are you and I because uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a deep crank specialist either. You know, I have some great success here in Amistad in the wintertime cranking, but it's really cranking deep cranks over dormant hydrilla. But what I really struggle with with is what Timmy's exceptional at, and that's kind of working these ledges, these current breaks, shell beds, you know, these types of things, the hard bottoms that really hold these big schools of fish through the summertime. Like I said, really interested to hear about that. And you're right, we need to really expect ourselves to get better at something only if we practice it. And quite frankly, I don't pick a deep crankbait up enough in the summertime. Absolutely. And maybe that's one of the things that you and I have to just force ourselves to do. I know with other tactics, if I don't only go out on the lake or river or whatever it is that I'm fishing and have just that rod on the deck, I'm probably going to migrate to something that I typically do a lot more of. And that's unfortunate because I think we're missing a huge opportunity, as we're going to hear from Tim, on the results that deep cranking produces. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, you know, just going out with a buddy that maybe has some extra knowledge and information that he can enlighten you and kind of show you right there on the boat, kind of like we talked about last episode with uh, Justin Lucas. There's no better way to learn something than to be with something and see it on hand. It gives you that confidence and really builds that confidence that you need to make that happen for you. But let's move on to get Timmy on the line and start this Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. We'll be right back on Bass Edge Radio. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. 
the Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. For Bass Edge in 30 seconds. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and Marine Products. Visit lucasoil.com. Guest in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight is an angler that last joined us on October 24th, 2008, all the way back for episode number 81 of Bass Edge Radio. He is a 14-year tour veteran, having fished in 10 Bassmaster Classics and winnings over a million dollars. He's a crankbait specialist who hails from Alabama. It's none other than Tim Horton. Welcome back to the show, Tim. I thought y'all didn't like me. You know, it's been so long since I've been back. (laughs) Hey, uh, glad to be here, guys. Well, we are glad to have you. And, you know, certainly your skills have proven in your consistency, and we're anxious to tap into that again. And, Tim, you know, like many anglers, you're an educated man. And we've often talked really about the advantages of holding a degree in marketing and how that applies to the business end of fishing. However, I kind of believe you hold a more valuable degree, and that being in psychology. Has that helped you deal with the emotional demands of fishing and managing that mental warfare? Oh, there's probably no doubt. It was uh, one of the cool aspects of studying that, you know, when I was in college was just looking at all of the different difficulties that a lot of people go through. And most of that is highs and lows, extreme ends of highs and lows to people that really have to have clinical work done and stuff like that. And sometimes people that deal with those difficulties make things a bigger deal than they really are. So learning that, hey, you know, what we're doing here is a big deal. It's very competitive, but it's entertainment, you know it is what it is the, the thing about it is you work as hard as you possibly can at it and at the end of the day you put all the cards on the tables and, and whatever happens happens and you have to be able to go on and, and regardless if it's good or bad are you saying that no matter what place i finish in an event that has no meaning of actually how good or bad a fisherman i am <laughs> well you know people are moved by different things i know early on in my career that standing sheet was everything to me and what i looked at and how i did in my performance i gravitated to learning that it was more about you know what we do for a living is those people that watch us those people that follow what we do every move, whether it's a radio show or a magazine or a television show. And the majority of those people really follow us because they want to be able to do what we do from an aspect of just being able to go out and have fun you know, on their bodies of water. So whatever that might be. And I guess I gravitated toward learning that, maybe getting a little bit more educated about our sport. And don't get me wrong, I still take it very serious. I look at the uh, the standings of where we are, but came to a realization that there is much more than that. Well, Tim, I know we're talking about the psychological components and how you keep yourself emotionally in shape there, but I also know you work very hard to do that on a physical level. Matter of fact, right now, you know, you're kind of taking a break in between your workout there at the gym. And, you know, does 
does that translate over into when you're in physical shape as well, helping you make better decisions while on the water? Well, I think it does several things. I think it gives you confidence. It makes you feel better about what you're doing. But also, it keeps your metabolism up. I think your metabolism not only has as much to do with the physical aspect, but the mental aspect. And uh, the mental aspect can be tough. I know I've read a lot in other sports and how people are successful. I was reading this article one time on Ichiro, and he talked about how he keeps his life very simple. He doesn't want a lot of distractions. And, you know, I've learned that from doing my fishing show this year that my competitive side has suffered a little bit. But that fishing show is such a big deal to both myself and my fan base and my sponsors that I feel like it has played what has hurt on the uh, fishing side. So it is, I think, the physical aspect and being able to keep your mind focused and sharp is a really big deal. That's good. And Timmy Horton Outdoors is the show that Tim is referring to. And Tim, where can our listeners catch that? It's on the Pursuit Channel and WFN. Uh, we're going to keep those two networks the same in 2014. We don't have a contract signed on that other network yet, but we'll be announcing that soon. I tell you that, to me, I was a nervous wreck going into that, not knowing what to get into from a production side and everything else. And it went great. We were really pleased with the feedback. And, and, and I enjoy that. There's something moving to me when somebody comes up to me at a weigh-in or wherever it may be, and they say, hey, man, I tried this technique that you were doing on this show, and I went to my home lake, and it worked. And you could see that beaming in her face, you know. So it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. Aaron and I get the same feeling oftentimes when people talk about the podcast and we see people out there and they talk about different things they've heard from anglers like yourself and uh, the several other guests that we have on the show, you know, twice a month. There is an awesome feeling about that and uh, being able to uh, share your passion and quite frankly, your love for the sport of bass fishing. And Timmy, it's interesting, you know, your dad and your grandfather were instrumental in your introduction to the sport and later in life, anglers like Denny Brower, Larry Nixon, David Fritz also served as catalyst. Talk to us about how these anglers helped to shape your career. Well, I think early on, and man, I used to love the Bassmasters, you know, the Bob Cobb days. What was so cool about it then was you always had the fishing, and that was cool, and Bob would come on and he'd do his narration, but it never went away from the fishing, and that was always so cool to me. It's funny because when I got into the sport, I was so awestruck you know, of getting in and seeing those guys out there that I grew up following. And, man, I was like a sponge. You know, when I started out, I remember I used to work at a radio show. I was a DJ when I was in high school. And there was one program we had. It was in Fisherman Radio at that time. It was the only fishing show that we had. And, man, I would take those cassettes that I would just listen to them over and over again, trying to soak up as much information as I can. And those guys, you know, were the reason that I got into the sport and just fell in love with it. And you talk about that influence. One thing I try to do when I do these seminars, or, or different things because I encourage folks, hey, don't let take a kid fishing just be a cliche. You know, take it personal, do something about it, and try to get your kids to invite, you know, a friend that doesn't have parents to fish. That's the big key because we as fishermen, our kids all have a great opportunity to get into it. And both my daughters absolutely love it. Leah, my youngest daughter, and I won a tournament a couple of weeks ago. But I think that is so important, the influence in our sport. With so much happening with technology, these kids are on their phones, they're indoors, they're not getting outside as much as they should. And, and man, that's heartbreaking to think how many people are missing that opportunity. Well, that's for sure. And, you know, I, I can think of no better gift than to pass that on. Because let's face it, guys, you know, every single one of us has had that introduced to us at some point in our lives. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And you know what? How many times do you ever see a kid grilling in a fish and he's not laughing and smiling? It does something to them. And you'll take a father and a daughter, a father and a son that's a teenager that's always battling over discipline and what they're doing in their home and what they should and shouldn't be doing. You see a line on the lake, it's just 
appetite, all that goes away in that moment is all that matters. And it's just the coolest deal from a family aspect ever is a sport of fishing. Couldn't agree with you more, Tim. And, you know, I think oftentimes, you know, we're all pretty much the same age. But I think too often we take it for granted because we're in the sport and immersed in the sport of the impact that we can have on others. And, you know, that's kind of my next question to you. Has it really resonated or set in with you that that torch has been passed on to you and you're likely serving youth in the same capacity that your dad, your grandfather, Larry, Denny, David Fritz, you know, those guys served you? There's no doubt. And you guys can relate to this. You know it. There's a sense of responsibility. And again, it's kind of like the people coming up to you saying they call fish doing something you watch. If that don't move you, you don't have a heartbeat when you feel that responsibility of knowing you influence somebody. We did our Kimmy Gordon High School Challenge uh, last month on Pigweed Lake. And I would have to say that's one of the coolest things I've ever been involved in. And what's happening with this high school and college fishing now is you've got kids that are getting into fishing that they might have fished a little bit in their high school days, but they would not have competed and took it as seriously and got into our sport. And you're talking about lifelong people of enjoying our sport, helping keeping our industry strong. It's just a cool deal. And we do. We should have that sense of responsibility because let's face it, had I not had that one moment of my dad taking me fishing early on, it's striking me that created a passion. And you guys know where I'm coming from. You can't explain that passion. Oh, you yeah. Have, you'll sit there, you'll think about it, and you just look dumbfounded trying to explain it to somebody. But had I not had that one moment, it would have never happened. And we have to take that. I mean, we have to say, hey, you know, I need to influence somebody here, whether it's through a, a radio show they may catch or you know, and I, and I guarantee you, these people are watching, listening to y'all's podcast. These kids are like sponges. You know, they want to grasp as much of it as they can, and they have all this information readily available to them, and it's really, really cool. Yeah, a lot of times I think that's why so many young anglers come out and just catch fire is because they're starting to learn so many advanced techniques at such a young age that, like you said, they're just a sponge, and they're just sucking it in. It's, it's just like you try and teach a 40-year-old how to speak Spanish, and you teach a 12-year-old how to speak Spanish. The 12-year-old learns it twice as fast the 40-year-old because they get that information and they're able to bring it back out so quickly. And that's why it's also really important to get these kids fishing at a young age because, you know, it really just sets the tone for their life in general. And I know, Tim, you do a couple of really cool things throughout the year with kids fishing programs. I know I do some things. Aaron does some things. And man, it's just an important process in passing on what we enjoy to keep people enjoying that for years and years to come. If people have ways to be able to influence, shame on them for not doing things. And I know I've read about what you guys and Kurt, you've actually got something going on right now, but it's so important. It can't be echoed enough to what people are doing, and you're seeing it more and more with these kids getting them out fishing. Well, I'll tell you, Tim, let's kind of smooth over and change topics and talk some more about fishing and helping our listeners catch some more fish. You know, obviously, we all take great joy in finding fish and putting a pattern together. And I was watching one of your shows just the other day. It might have been the first show that you did this year, but it was on a Lake Seminole. I mean, you put a whooping on them that one knocker and uh, I'd love for you to explain your process in uh, kind of putting a pattern together on a random body of water. Well I tell you what's really cool about what we're doing with our show on Timmy Horton Outdoors is first of all we're going to public bodies of water everything we do we want the public to be able to go and experience that. If they want to go to that lake they can go and do it and do the same thing that we were doing but we were actually doing some hosting for the show the Bass Pros. We were at the Atlanta Bass Pro Shop 
shop, and I had my camera guy with me, and I said, when we get done with this, we'll go to Lanier, film a show for THO. Well, the weather just bombed out, and I thought, well, we'll drive to Seminole. I hadn't been there in 10 years. I was actually competing there when Lauren was born, my oldest daughter, that just always, that lake has held such a place in my heart. I wanted to name her Seminole, but my wife wasn't that good of it, but, uh, and understandably so. But anyhow, so we drive down to Seminole, and we put in at Jack Wingate, and we literally come out in the lake, and it was just one of those beautiful days. I mean, it was dead calm. I noticed right when I put in and started idling out, the grass was really healthy. And it was January, so I knew they would be in a pre-spawn deal. And we get out there, and we're going down a ridge that had grass on it with that one knocker. What you want to find is those edges where it goes from thick to clean. And we found one little clean spot there that we caught those three to sevens for like 30 minutes. It was a cool deal. I think what gets frustrating with that, though, I'll do it, tell is that you guys have been out in this, you know, it's just been it. You get to catch them, and the producer's like, no, we need some dialogue. We need some different shots. And you want to say, hey, they're firing. I got to catch them right now, you know. That's, that's but that, right. that Lake Seminole stuff, it was really fun, really cool. Even in your tournaments or when you're just taking the girls out, give us kind of an inside peek into your psyche of how you're approaching things and taking information or just going out trying to find a foundation to build on and put some things together on a particular body of water. I think the biggest thing, um, all of these places are different. I know Kurt and I just fished an event at the James River, and even though those fish were uh, postponed, they're going to stay shallow there because it's a tidal river, and the actual most oxygen content is usually close to the surface because of the way that coming in and out. So whereas you may go to Pitwick in June and this exact same time frame, you know, the water temperature is going to be about the same, but those fish are going to be 15 to 20 foot. So every lake is different in how it sets up. And I think you just learn that and you learn what to look for. But the biggest thing for me early on in that spring time frame, depending on where you are in the country from January till now, is really where they are in their spawn. Are they starting? Are they about to get started? Are they done? And now are they out in their summertime mode? And it really changes I think Rick Klein said it best one time, you know, to study the owl, you study the mouse. And to study a bass, you really need to study what they're feeding on. Because a bass, by nature, is a shallow water creature. You know, it's just like Thigwit. His comfort range is not out there in 20 to 25 foot, but that's where those shad go. So that's what he's going to do. And it's not a water temperature thing because you can see in August those fish starting to move shallower even though the water is warmer. To me, it's the coolest study. Our sport, and Bill Dan said it one time, the reason we're all so addicted to it is because you cannot win. No matter how good you get at it, it's always going to be challenging to you to where the bass are going to be ahead of you and they're going to throw you for a loop. And that challenge of finding them and figuring them out is what is so cool. Tim, you know, one of the topics that comes up is this whole topic of competition and and whether it's a formal competition, really every time any of us hit the water in your belly boat or a kayak or whatever, there's always a competition between the angler and the fish. All of us grew up really fishing for kind of whatever would bite the end of our lines that kind of morphed into something else. And, and that sheer joy of the outdoors was really the catalyst that got us there. But as an industry, are we placing too much emphasis on the competitive aspect of it? I think probably so, especially when you get into actual things that are happening in real all have seen things, but that's probably in every line of business, you know, you're going to have things to happen. I really believe the coolest thing about our sport on a level of one to ten on an intensity, you can be at any of it and enjoy it. 
I don't care if it's just, like you said, going out trying to find a brim bed because you got your granddaughter with you and you want her to catch a few fish. I don't care if the fish aren't biting and your four-year-old just wants to play in the minnow bucket. Or it's high-end competition at the Bassmasters Classic at the end of the year. That's the cool thing about it. But I think ultimately what we've got to remember is our sport is followed by people who want to have success doing what they enjoy doing. It's just like this podcast we're doing right now. I can promise you nine out of ten are going to go back and listen to the discussion we just had talking about the ways to catch fish and the ways to find fish. That's the meat and potatoes of what the people that follow our sport are. I can remember as a kid, and I love turkey hunting. It's one of my favorite things to do to this day, but I would be watching and waiting on Jimmy Houston Outdoors to come on, and if it was a turkey hunting show, you could have just punched me in the gut, you know, because I was dying to learn something about fishing. And I think that when we start getting away from that, and it's so much on the drama of things that don't have to do with catching a fish. It's a little bit of a turnoff to me and it is to others. So I think our focus should be on the fishing and how to catch fish because that's our fan base. Well said. Hey Tim, we're going to take a quick break. If you can hold the line, we're going to come back and talk to you a little bit about deep cranking as well as answer a listener question. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Whether you're on the road, on the water, or in your backyard, there's a super start battery when you need one at O'Reilly Auto Parts. From car batteries to batteries for your lawnmower or boat, every super start battery comes with a nationwide replacement warranty. Starting power, starting performance, and starting reliability, super start batteries available exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. We are back on Bass Edge Radio talking with BASS elite angler Tim Horton. And this segment of the show is brought to you by Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. From real oil to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements, visit lucasoil.com. It works. Tim, well, here we are smack dab in the middle of summer. It's mid-July. Quite frankly, it's obvious throughout your career that you have mastered the art of deep cranking. I'd like you to break it down for our listeners first and define deep cranking and talk to us about specific areas we're looking for to throw those big crankbaits. Well, I tell you guys, if I start stumbling here, it's because my heart rate gets up a little bit. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but when we go to a lake that we know that's going to be the deal that really increases my uh, level of intensity. But I think the biggest thing starting out for anybody to realize is proper equipment. And I know we hear so many techniques talked about and guys, pros talking about it and you feel like it's a plug for their sponsors. But I'm going to tell you, the length of the cast, there's nothing more important on a deep diamond crankbait because if you're not hitting those depths, those fish racks, and I see it so many times, you'll see the, the two guys in a boat throwing the exact same lure and you think, well, why is one catching them and one not the other? Well, the other one's getting a 15, 20 foot longer cast which is allowing that lure to get down into the strike zone. And I'm going to tell you that lose BB-1 is crazy. It don't even make sense logically to me how far you can get a crankbait with that reel. But that is the biggest thing is the length of the cast. And then obviously boat position. you got to know that, hey, the first 20% or so of that crankbait diving down is getting down to its maximum depth. And then the last 20%, just because of basic geometry, there's not enough line out, it's going to start coming back up to the boat. So you've got about 60% of that cast there that that lure is in the strike zone. So boat positioning is critical on that ledge or whatever it is, muscle bed, whatever it is you may be cranking. So that's the biggest key. And know your crankbait. I know from the bomber switchback all the way to the fat for shad, I know the depth that those crankbaits will run. And whatever brand it is you have confidence in, know what depth crankbaits you need to be using 
at a certain depth. I would say the biggest tip is make contact with the bottom and make contact with the bottom at the right time. That's the big key. Also, I see so many people that will be just digging on crankbait before it gets to what I feel is the strike zone. I want to try to position my boat where I can get that contact point right where those fish are going to bite. Because it's almost like if you can visualize throwing a spinnerbait to a log and trying to make a bass bite, you don't want to throw your spinnerbait 30 yards past it and reel into that log because that bass knows it's coming. Okay, what I want to do is make that cast just barely past that log, engage those blades, bump that log, and then boom, you get a reaction bite. And it's the same way with crankbait fishing. I want to be able to get down and get that structure at the time that lure gets there. So, you know, that, that's some of my bigger tips. And, and the biggest thing is if you're cranking 15 foot of water, throw a crankbait that runs 17, you want to be able to hit the bottom. Timmy, you know, you talk a little bit there about, you know, what you're looking for, muscle beds, shell beds, those, those kinds of things. How is it that if I'm a weekend angler and I'm out Saturday and Sunday and I've got three or four, maybe five weekends over the summer to go out and find some of these areas, what's the best way to launch my boat and go try and look for these specific areas that you're targeting or specific types of bottoms that you're targeting? I would probably say, and I know that you guys will agree with me, the technology from depth finders and sonar and GPS has really transitioned and changed our sport more than anything. And I would say learn to use them, learn to find what a hard bottom looks like. One of the biggest tips I give everybody is when you put in at the boat ramp, get off to the side and idle over the concrete boat ramp, and you'll see exactly what a hard bottom looks like on your depth finder. And then as you start idling out, look for activity that will be at a certain depth. You know, it may be some lakes that activity may be at 10 foot. Some lakes it may be at 20 to 25 or even 30 like a table rock in the summertime. So really look for those key areas of what those depths are. And then try to look at places that comp out at that depth and have cover and structure. That's the biggest thing. And now here's a component I always tell people. If you're really wanting to learn what those baths look like, when you find a school in one of those places where you've caught three or four on three or four casts in a row, put your rod and reel down and idle over that spot and see what those bass look like on the electronics. I think that's a big key to be able to know what you're looking for because once you've set and caught them all, that school is going to disperse and move. So that's one of my biggest tips that I like to give there on that. Now that's great advice there. And Tim, in your opinion, what makes a deep diving crankbait? And perhaps you can even describe for me, you know, deep is a relative term. If you're down south, I mean, it, it may be a ditch that's seven or eight feet. Or if you're on Table Rock or out west in Orville or something like that, I mean, you could be in two to three hundred feet of water. What are those depths that you consider a deep crankbait? And then also what makes it so deadly over other presentations? Well, what will happen, particularly in the summertime, is where these lakes are really, really good. I'm talking about that really have them like a Seminole or a Pickwick or a Kentucky Lake or a Chickamauga. You could go on and on. Amistad, Falcon, fish are going to school up. And when they school up, they get competitive. It's kind of like you can have your dog. We've got a couple of weenie dogs and we keep food out for them, you know, at home and they won't eat it. Somebody brings their dog over and puts it in the floor. They run over and start eating the food, you know, and, and it's a competitive environment in nature that animals have. And these bass and these pools, you can take advantage of them being competitive. And you can do that with a deep diving crankbait better than anything. If you can just get one of those fish to trigger and fire, and they may not even be hungry. It may just be a reaction strike. And a lot of times, you know, I've got my aquarium at home and I watch it. Over the years, I've had different fish in that aquarium. There's always one fish that runs the aquarium. It's the dominant alpha fish. And none of the fish eat until he does. And when he starts eating, everything else does. And it's the same way with these schools of bass. So you can get that one fish to bite. It gets them competitive, and that's what a crankbait does. It triggers that strike, and then the next thing you know, you're catching them every cast. And that's just the coolest thing to me, to find those schools like that. 
I was having dinner with Shaw Grigsby and Paul Elias the other night, and I was telling them about this place I found in Dardanelle one time. And I caught them for four hours, I kid you not. The fish were not really offshore, and people were not looking for them yet. But they had really come out of this bay, and it's like every fish in this bay was on this one spot. And I got so tired of unhooking them with a treble hook that I had to start throwing a Carolina rig. That's the fun part of catching them with a crane bait and finding those schools offshore. I don't know, there's just something about that. Finding a place where you just catch them every cast is just the coolest thing. Timmy, you kind of alluded to it a little earlier. You talked about the lose reel that you like. You seem to really get a lot of distance with that particular reel. Let's go over your whole setup. What length and action of rod are you using, as well as what type of line are you using when you're cranking this deeper type structure? Yeah, and not only the kind of line, but the size of line. But I use a ducket cranking rod that I designed. It's a 7.4 cranking rod. And I also crank with a 7.3 white ice rod that I designed for them that's the multi-purpose rod that I really like how it loads up. But that's the biggest key. You don't want a seven foot rod to collapse on you. In other words, when you load up a crankbait, it doesn't have a bow and arrow tight mentality where it loads up and really fires. That's where you get that distance along with a good reel. And then the line I use is, you know, a twelve pound sunline four carbon. Sometimes I'll go down to 10. Sometimes I'll use a little heavier. We had the Toyota Texas Fast Plastic through the CAA several years ago, and we were fishing at Conroe, and those brush piles were in 10 to 12 foot of water. So I was actually cranking a big, fat, free shad with 20-pound test because I wasn't wanting it to go too deep to fish the tops of those brush piles. But for the most part, it's lighter line. And the big key on those crankbaits is I like the crankbaits that have a real thinner bill. It's just like we don't use a butter knife to cut a steak. You know, we use a steak knife, and those bills have to cut through that water. So the thinner the bill, the better they run and get down deeper. And all the manufacturers have picked up on that now. And get ones that cast really good. When I designed that switchback, I mean, man, we made it heavy, and we made it have a real thin bill. And it has a rolling action when it dies instead of an X action side by side. And that has a lot to do with those bass not knowing something's coming until, boom, it's right on top of them, and then you get that reaction strike even when they're not feeding. You said it right there, Tim. The manufacturers have picked up on a lot of things, and I know, obviously, you're heavily involved in a lot of the design of products and things that you personally use. But specifically in the crankbait market, are there little things that you do to modify your crankbaits, maybe the hooks, bill modifications, colors, things like that? Are you pretty much just taking them off the shelf and using them right out of the box? a lot more modification to it than it is now. I mean, pretty much now, things are used out of the box just as we use it. There's a big misconception with our fan base that we all have lures that the general public doesn't have available to them, and that's a big-time misconception. I don't know that I have a lure in my tackle box in my boat that I compete out of if somebody can go to a Bass Pro Shops or something and purchase. Now, early on, that was different. Now, after you've used the crankbait a good bit, obviously, you need to check on the hook and the front be alive, keep it filed down and keep it sharp. And I don't want it to get blunt and rounded off. Those are some of the bigger tips. When I won at Lake Champlain, that was a modified factory shad that I had. And I had been using it for several years and having a lot of luck on it where I was actually shaving the sides down and it would make that bait have a different subtle rolling action. And then we designed the switchback based out of that. So that's the exact scenario that we had. But there is little modifications you do. It's just like Dale Rowland with his pop art that he had for so many years. Now that's available as the Zell pop. You know, so a lot of those modifications, which are pretty cool, we bring to the fans. 
and that's pretty neat. Well, Tim, we approach my favorite part of the show as we're going to award a lucky listener a $100 gift card to O'Reilly Auto Parts for this week's listener question. And this question comes from Apprentice White in Chicago, Illinois. Apprentice asks, being a new angler to bass fishing, when I go to purchase equipment and tackle, what would be your list of equipment and lures that are must-haves for a new beginner angler? Again, that question is Apprentice White. Tim, let's set Apprentice on his way. What's he need to get? I think keep it simple to begin with. You know, at a beginning angle, a six fix rod is something that's very usable for a lot of different techniques. And if you're really starting out and you're not familiar with a bait cast, get you a spin cast reel. But really try to work up to that bait cast reel. And hey, here's my biggest tip for a beginning angler. Monofilament line does not backlash near as much as fluorocarbon and braid. It's a lot easier to deal with. So get you some good monofilament. And then I would say get a variety of some plastic lures, small topwater lures, and uh, things of that variety to get you started. Great stuff. And Apprentice, thanks for sending in your question. And it's awesome that we chose it for the show because you are the O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question winner. Thanks to the people from O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people. I wish I would have seen in and submitted a question because I just saw some new wiper blades. <laughs> Please send us your questions at any time because you can just send us an email email to uh, support at BassEdge.com or post your question on the BassEdge Facebook page for your chance to win a $100 gift card from O'Reilly Auto Parts. And Apprentice, i got to remind you to simply send us an email letting us know that you did hear your question answered on the show along with your mailing address and we'll get you that $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Well, Tim, as always, it has been an absolute pleasure and great talking with you. Any closing thoughts or comments before you head out on your day? No, man. As always, you guys have a great interview. Things like this, the two kids and people that enjoy our sport can go and listen to It's really cool and a great interview, man. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for doing all the heavy lifting and uh, really raising the IQ of Bass Edge listeners. Best of luck in the upcoming year. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Hey everybody, I'm Justin Lucas, and you are fishing with Bass Edge Radio. 
Welcome back to Bass Edge and another fantastic interview with Timmy Horton and talking about deep cranking and a lot of his ways that he got involved in the sport of fishing and, of course, you know, his new show and a lot of other great things we discussed with Tim Aaron. If there was one thing that you thought we could expound on and really show the listeners more of what Tim's talking about. Well, you know, Kurt, there was so much information and asking him to put a session of deep cranking. That's probably a two-show situation, and certainly we need to get him back on the show. But I would like to hear your thoughts on two things. One was ledge fishing and throwing that deep diving crankbait on these ledges and current breaks. And then the other was muscle beds. Give us a detailed explanation of how you're defining a ledge. Also kind of what a muscle bed is, the size or, or what you're actually looking for and how you find those. Sure. Well, to first recount one thing that Tim said, which is real important, is understanding your electronics. He gave the example of riding over the ramp so you can notice what a hard bottom looks like on your graph. That's real important. But what's really key for me is when I'm going out and looking for these types of locations is having that chip, whether it's a Lake Master chip or Navionics chip, that shows you the contours and how the river channel. You're going to find these ledges either at the mouths of creeks or on the river channels themselves, especially in the TVA type lakes or Coosa River, you know, even here at Lake Amistad or Table Rock. And what you really want to look for are the tight contour lines that go from shallow to deep really quickly. And that is where you're going to find those hard spots and those hard areas. Because, you know, again, referring back to what Justin Lucas was talking about earlier this month is that the fish need that shallow to deep quick access. So that's what we're finding with those close contour lines. And that's where you're going to find those hard spots. Because the reason those contours are close right there is because that's where there's an abutment to a hard spot or a hard area. And then you're really using your graphs to dial in that stuff. But what I really want to tell the listeners is that just because you find one, two, three, or four areas on your lake that have those close contour lines, don't think that's going to lead to immediate success. You can ask any professional angler out there that does this over and over, or guide for that matter, that you need to hit several, and when I say several, you know, maybe 15 to 20 areas just to find two or three good schools of fish. So if you don't hit it on the first three or four little spots, don't give up. Keep looking for those close contour lines. Keep looking for those big schools of summertime fish that you can get to react to those deep diving crankbaits. That's good info right there, Kurt. And I kind of relate it to, it's a lot like dock fishing. You know, you could fish 50, 60 docks and you may only find 10 to 20 docks that are actually holding fish. Yeah, and then all of a sudden those become the docks that just consistently hold fish. And really a lot of times we can't say why they do or why they don't produce. But when we know that the ones that do produce the particular ledges or like you say, the particular docks, those are the places we want to visit over and over again because we're going to continue to have success there at those areas. Well, for sure, and I feel that a lot of those areas may even have the fish. It's just getting them to react that maybe they're just sitting there looking up in our bait or kind of in a funk or a lethargic mood. So all good stuff. Maybe that's our topic for our upcoming episodes is dock fishing. That's one of the things I love to do. But unfortunately, we are out of time. As always, thanks to our guest, Tim Horton, and his wealth of information, and you, the listener, for being part of Bass Edge radio for kurt dove and the rest of the bass edge crew i am aaron martin join us next time for another exciting episode of bass edge radio presented by keelguard so long everybody you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology 
KeelGuard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard Keel Protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.